All right. So, hi everyone. It's Obi Abuchi here with the Leading from Your Core podcast and vodcast. This show is dedicated to helping leaders all around the world discover leadership wisdom, stories, and insights that will enable you to tap into the power of leading from the inside out. And I'm delighted to welcome on the show Lauren Seeger Smith. Lauren is CEO of the UK-based bullying prevention charity, Kidscape. Um, she's worked in child advocacy and youth development for over 20 years, uh, previously working for the National Children's Bureau, Save the Children, and global volunteer and charity Latitude. Uh, she's a trustee of Children England, a member of the Action for Children England Committee, UK Safe Internet Centre, board and internet matters expert advisory panel and obviously lots of other incredible things she's a regular media spokesperson and campaigner with an incredible focus on child rights in education and the digital world lauren it's an absolute delight to have you on the show uh, welcome thank you so much lovely to be here um and looking forward to our conversation it feels like it'll be part two because <laughs> before we started recording we've already talked about so many uh topics important uh topics and you do obviously a lot of work and advocating for uh children but that that's a, a leadership role that you play within kidscape and and one of the things that I'd love us to talk about today is some of the, the pressures and demands that leaders experience, especially that when it comes to their own lives and the family challenges that they're having to deal with and life challenges, as well as um, still leading their organizations in an effective and resilient way. But just before we go into that, so our listeners and viewers get to know who you are. I'd love to hear about how you got into this. Um, was it always a, a passion, a purpose for you, or was there a, a moment that a light bulb dropped? So how did you get into this? Wow, how did I get into this? Okay, so I um, grew up the daughter of a Baptist minister, which I think is important because when you are a child of clergy or people of faith, whatever that might be, um, your your family life is not your own. Um, you belong sure. to the church and the community. <laughs> um, and there are challenges that come with that. But the benefits are that you meet people of all walks of life. You know, we, we, my dad worked with everybody and we saw a lot of things. A lot of people were in our house all of the time. Um, and it gave me, I suppose, that um, always been deeply interested in people in people's lives mm. um in what's going on for people and um and then went to unis studied english that's what i was best at so i kind of went off in that direction and i love books i love reading i've never lost that but after uni i was a bit unsure thought maybe i want to go into publishing um but very quickly ended up moving towards people, moving towards the charity sector, started um, by volunteering for a year with a homeless charity in Edinburgh. Um, and then um, after that, went to the global youth charity 
um, which was uh, a brilliant opportunity to travel the world. But I felt that I was being pulled much more in direction of people in real need and need of real support, particularly young people. Um, mm. And then went into a job supporting young people at risk of exclusion from school, um, working full time in a secondary school with, with children on the edge of education. And that kind of gave me that real heart um, for children who are struggling in school for, for lots of reasons and children who don't feel like they belong um, in school or in society. Um, and that's mm. really where I've been now, um, certainly for the last kind of 15 years. Oh, brilliant. All right. So uh, a real sense of purpose and, and calling, it seems, into what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my heart is 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 very much with, with children and the experience of children. But I suppose probably because of my background, I also have a real sense of kind of social justice as well. And sure. very driven if I don't think things are fair, or I don't think things are fair for children within schools. And we certainly see a lot of that in our work. Um, and so that's my passion, I suppose, is to is children's rights and children's rights to be safe wherever that might be, whether that's in school or community or, on, or online, um, that there's that kind of dual passion. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so one of the things we'll be talking about today is is resilience as leaders and you know you've got a, a passion for what you're doing and just before we started recording we were talking about the where we're having to care for family members or we've got um, children and and yet you've got an organization to run and people to to lead and i say all the time that you know as leaders we have all sorts of demands that are being placed on us all of the time how do we remain resilient to that how do we make sure we don't burn out with all of the things that we've got to to do and so just to kick things off what, what does resilience mean to you and why do you think it's important in leadership and in life but let's start off with what resilience means to you for me i think in times where i felt really challenged um there's an elizabeth taylor quote and it's something along the lines of you just get out of bed you put your lipstick on and you put one foot in front of the other and you keep going and i'm not sure that's necessarily healthy but i think <laughs> there's definitely something in which is you just get out of bed, you do just put one step in the other and you keep moving forward. Mm. And I have a very strong work ethic um, and a real strong sense of service. And I'm not saying that always serves well. Um, and we can sure. talk about that, you know, when you come <laughs> from a background of service as well, there sure. can be dangers that there is self-sacrifice within that. But for me, resilience is putting one foot in front of the other, um, but within a support network as well. And um, I also think as well, it's, um, I heard something recently around how life is like a river and things that have gone before you, you're kind of downstream, will influence you down the stream. And one of the things I think is a strong influence to me was my grandparents on my mother's side. Um, they met in the war. Um, my granny came over from Belgium, both very strong characters. Um, both were in work from as children, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, they were working. They didn't get to complete their educations, um, but they just were so, so resilient, so strong within that and pushed through that. Mm. Whenever I've had those moments where I felt weak, I've thought about them and I've thought about that war generation. 
um, and how they just put one foot in front of the other, you know, and they just kept on going. So for me, there's something around that, that history as well. And that speaks sure. to yeah, I, I I've loved that. I mean, that's a very simple and yet just powerful way of communicating it. That it is that ability to to keep going and put that one foot and and not get so lost by all of the massive things that I need to achieve. But can I just put the next foot in in front here? And you, you talk about service, and I would love to explore that because especially for the your industry and and I, I speak to people in the NHS for example and it's interesting how sometimes in an industry where you're about um, service and about caring for people that sometimes you can do it to the detriment of yourself and your own health and not really look after you and what does it look like when you're serving people to make sure that you still put your oxygen mask on for yourself and that you're looking after you? So what does that look like to look after you so that you are able to serve people as best as you can? I think it's a very hard, I think it's something you have to practice and you have to work at. It won't just happen accidentally. Um, uh, one of my, my previous line managers, when I was going into this CEO role, I said to him, what's the one bit of advice you'd give me? And he said, stay physically fit. It's so important to be physically fit. And that really remained with me, you know, and I think sure. it is things like prioritizing for me, I, I have a Husky, uh, so she requires a lot of walks. So I do a lot of walking, you know, like I swimming at the weekends and I like yoga and it's making time for those things actually your physical health is really important to, to sustain your ability to lead if you're not physically well that's that's really hard so um it's 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 good habits atomic habits james clear that's a brilliant book. but it really matters what you do every day really matters so it's having those self-care habits that you really stick to and that you you protect i think is important brilliant i, I love that yeah that's so you know i use the the oxygen mask analogy and i the reason i love it is because the, the whole reason that that's talked about so you're you're on a plane and the air host their hostess says hey make sure you put your oxygen mask on you know before you put it on first even before your loved ones is because we're talking about a, a crisis situation and you can't give your best if you're running on empty and certainly as a leader if you aren't fit if you don't have the energy if you don't have the mental space to really give your best thoughts and decisions and energy to your people then it all comes crumbling down and so i love that focus on integrating the right habits in your life so that you're able to keep going right and sustain that yeah, and reflecting as well, you know, and trying to find opportunities to take time out to really think about where you're at. Um, because when you're going through very challenging or very busy periods, it's easy to not have that self-reflection and not to realise what you may inadvertently be stumbling into. So it's taking that time to check out and going, well, how are how am I at the moment? How are things? Have some of those habits slipped? Sure. Um, I stopped doing some of those really sort of nourishing practices that I need to reintroduce again. 
Um, and again, it's been quite disciplined about that reflection, I think. Yeah, I love that's such a great word. The, these are nourishing practices. So it's not just for the sake of it, but it's actually, I, I use the word rewarding habits that they just energize you and, and, and nourish and, and help you um, just optimize your impact and your, your effectiveness. Um, what are, so just practically, what, what have been some examples of in your own life of some draining, challenging experiences that you've had to face and how have some of your own resilience practices helped you through that? Yeah, so before we came on air, I was talking to you about the challenge of um, being a leader and having young children, but also having caring responsibilities for my parents. Mm. Um, and um, I, the most challenging time I've been through was when my second child was has, had just been born as on maternity leave and my parents simultaneously had very severe mental physical breakdowns. Um, they were just coming towards retirement, came out of nowhere, um, very, very quick deterioration. And that was a huge personal challenge mm. um, because it was dealing with um, trying to balance um, eventually going back to work, having young children, having parents that also needed me, um, and then trying to find safe space for myself within that and being able to um, be um, the best version of myself I could be in those different situations oh. and, and manage all of that. And um, I look back at that time and partly think, how did I get through it? What did that look like? <laughs> I think we do that, don't we? We kind of know how. Sure. What was that? Um, but I think probably um, the things that supported me were um, having course family and friends to talk to but even within those situations it can feel quite lonely um you know people mm. can support as much as they can but with, sure. with close family members and breakdowns it, a lot can fall on you as a as an individual but you know what i've always been really good at sleeping so making sure i get enough sleep <laughs> you know and having that exercise and trying to keep those habits is really really important even when you're in middle of crisis so mm. kind of planning your day out. I know I'm going to have to go and deal with this. I'm going to have to go to the hospital. I'm going to have to go to this appointment. I'm going to have to deal with this. But almost timetabling out your day sounds a bit sure. But it, this time I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. List, lists really help me. This is what this day, this day may feel like a marathon. But these sure. are, and it's just one day. So taking things a day at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It, it just, it sounds like a, a different, you, you talked about the Elizabeth Taylor quote, just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And it's in those moments, maybe it's just taking it one day at a time. It's taking it just one hour at a time. It's okay, here's what I know I can do for the next, you know, until lunchtime when I then go out for my walk and, um, because I know what it's like in some of those moments I mentioned earlier on that my mum was diagnosed with Alzheimer's eight years ago and we've slowly been losing her and it's a really painful experience because it's not just this illness that you go to the hospital and you get 
um, some medication and then you can talk about it. You, you can't have the conversation, you can't really process it with her. And then there's all of the uncertainty that comes with it. And there were times when she went missing that was incredibly just challenging and difficult. And yet life doesn't stop. It still goes on. There are still demands. There are still expectations. There are still bills to be paid. There are still people that need vision and support and, and direction, especially when you're in a leadership position. And so figuring out ways to just do the next thing right in this particular season feels like the a way of just tapping into into that resilience for you as a as a leader yeah um, absolutely and I'm sure, I'm sure there's you know people listening to this today who are having to deal with situations where family members have um alzheimer's or dementia or have you know as it was in my case that you know mental breakdowns and you know my dad was in a psych hospital so trying to explain to people oh my dad's you know just just been rushed into a psychiatric hospital you know that, that mm. can be quite a difficult conversation to have sometimes people don't know how to respond to that and before we came there we were talking about the unpredictability of mental ill health as well yeah um yeah. it's not neat it's not like on tuesday at three o'clock um i've got an appointment at the hospital <laughs> It's, oh my goodness, the phone is ringing, usually a sibling saying, do you know so-and-so has disappeared or this has happened or you need yeah, to yeah. yeah? And that's what's so hard as a leader because you're like, okay, I have something that is really scary. It's mm. out of my control. Um, it needs my attention, but I've also got this to deal with. Um, sure. And it's a lot of it is managing itself. It's managing yourself, isn't it? It's self-regulation within that moment where something's very unpredictable. Um, mm. And perhaps when you've had that or you've gone through that, I don't know. Well, things either we were talking about resilience, weren't we? They either make you stronger, they make you better at dealing with uncertainty generally, probably. Sure. The yeah. Things that are uncertain that come up at work are kind of nothing in comparison to, hey, your mum's gone missing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can deal with that, you know, a yeah. lot of other things kind of pale in comparison, don't they? Don't they really? Um, yeah. Yeah. There's learning in all of these experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you talked about this idea of, you know, just you, you realize the various things that are outside of your control. And, and one of the things that I've learned in particular as I reflect on the journey with my mom is that actually there are more things outside of my control th than I thought. And, but then on the other hand, what is within my control is me and, and my reaction so for example yesterday i was i had planned my afternoon so i had some family members uh, arriving at the airport i had some meetings before that and thought great a half an hour airport's half an hour away pick them up we'll get them home then i've got some other activities boom 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 i get on the motorway there's an accident well I couldn't really tell but things were slowing down and then before I know it, we are at a standstill for an hour mm -hmm. and all of my plans have gone out the window and and I'm noticing myself I'm just noticing okay so Obi how are you reacting to this now my first thought was oh man I had plans and then I thought yeah but of course you did have plans Obi but this is life it was just one of those moments that I just thought man, this is life this is it and so 
there's literally, there's nothing you can do about this. So you can complain, you could moan, or you can work with it and learn how to surf this wave, recognizing that you're not in uh, control. And so had to reschedule a few things and ask my wife to pick our uh, son up. But for me, it was a reminder. It was just a reminder that, that actually this is life. There are things I can plan uh, but I've always got to be ready to navigate the unexpected and recognize that actually that I'm not in control of circumstances. I'm mostly in control of me and how I react. But but that's been a lesson from the the journey with my mom, just realizing we, we cannot control this. It's going down a trajectory that is literally outside of our hands. What we can do is how do we learn to connect? How do we learn to support one another as, as family? Um, but some really insightful leadership lessons for, for me on that path. Yeah. And I think the fact that you were able in that moment to go, actually, how are you, how are you feeling? Like what, what is, you were able to self-reflect um, and just see that this is just another moment in time. This doesn't define who I am as a person, doesn't define who mm. I am. Um, I wonder if there's something around the ego in it as well. I think when you're a leader, you want to, you, you have this vision of yourself, you feel like you have to protect at all costs. That's a lot about ego, isn't it? And actually, no one probably sees you like you think they see you. <laughs> anyway, actually having a bad day is human and doesn't make you less of anything. Um, so sometimes I think that's where, you know, you think that meeting is so important. If, if I'm not there, then well, really, are you that important? <laughs> you know they'll get by without you you'll be all right so it's yeah, checking, yeah. checking that in yourself as well isn't it is realizing do you know what the world's not going to stop without you <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. well I, I love the fact that you brought that up because ego is something that I, I love to talk about um that sounds does that sound egotistical? <laughs> that. that sounded weird that's I, I love to talk about ego no but I do actually I do love to talk about ego in the sense that being aware of how it can get in the way of how we show up, right? And, and, and you specifically think, use the words just, yeah, I'm not defined by these things. And that's also been a huge journey. I do a lot of work with leaders globally and, and I find it kind of boils down to three things. I see leaders defining themselves by what they do. So I'm my position, I'm the CEO of this. And so I ought to be able to show up and I ought to have handled this perfectly. And, and I ought to have figured this out by now. It's like, but, but Obi, you know, you're human or, or they define them, themselves by what they have. And hey, this is what I've acquired or by what other people say about you, but it's all external. And mm -hmm. what happens when those things are taken away what happens when you can no longer control those things and so you've got to find something much deeper that is beyond the ego and saying yeah I happen to be in this role and and I happen to have these things and people have said that about me but I'm I'm something so much more than that and and being able to connect with that I find enables you to have a peace in the midst of a storm because you're not you're not buffeted you know and, and tossed and turned by 
by all of the externals to a degree. I mean, we all, it's natural to react and say where I did yesterday and, and your situation with your dad, we react, but then you can find that center that grounds you regardless of what's going on. Um, but that can be hard to do because as we said, you know, the ego can get in the way. And what's been your experience of either personally or, or just leaders you've interacted with, with just keeping that ego in check? Yeah, I think it's a really difficult one. I think when I first um, became a CEO, I didn't really know there's no, there are books on the CEO's first six days. <laughs> and um, all the things that you should do, you should do all this and this. And like, what does this mean? How do I become this CEO? What does a CEO look like? And I was reading endless books and listening to laser podcasts and laser, like Alan Sugar's book, Karen Brady's book. <laughs> Probably not the best examples for the charity sets necessarily, but actually, there's not many books with charity leaders their stories there's a gap in the market but um you know really into simon sinek you know all these people what does it look like what do i do how do i do it someone tell sure. me and there was a lot of ego in there around i don't want to fail you know i don't what does it look like to fail as well and i've got to get this mm. right and i think as time's gone on i think i've realized that actually you, do you know do you know what like <laughs> the best leaders are the ones who are okay with getting things wrong and making mistakes and don't feel defined by the image and Love that. um and that that's a that's a journey that's hard i think when you first go into leadership roles that's that's the really difficult point because you do feel that insecurity you do feel like you've got something you need to prove but i think my sense is some of the best leaders i've worked for are the people that have been leaders for a long time and actually have learned the hard lessons because sure. there tends to be more of a gentleness in a funny way and probably mm. more humility where there's not an they've learned that it's not about proving yourself because we all make mistakes mm. about being able to live with that uncertainty and do the best job you can in a moment. And one guy that really comes to mind when I worked for the Gap Year charity, the, the CEO at the time was a, was a, um, an army general and an, an, an ex a retired army general, um, who'd been very, very senior. Um, and we were told he doesn't suffer fools. He's coming in. <laughs> we were all terrified. And then he came in. Oh my goodness. He was the perfect model of just humility and graciousness and wow. an absolute delight. This man, you would not know that he'd been really senior in the army and, you know, led forces into, into war zones. And, um, he was a real example to me actually. And wow. he, but you know, that that was hard. That was hard one. He'd learned that. <laughs> Been. you know he developed that hadn't he wasn't born like that sure, sure. <laughs> um so for me it's that you know i think if anyone's kind of listening who's going into leadership positions you won't it, it's almost at the beginning you are in that intense who am i what am i yeah yeah so and so looks so much better than me on linkedin what am i doing wrong <laughs> you know how can i impress but then i think you come sure. to a point a really nice place later where you're like actually i'm not it's not my job to impress other people mm. best job that i can do um i think that's the way i'd see it now that that is so powerful so rich it uh it feels like wisdom talking because the uh, when we talked about ego and one of the things that you talked about at the start was just you know, service and, and a big driver for you going into 
your role and into this industry and doing the work with kids space is to serve and yet it feels like there's a rite of passage that a lot of leaders need to go through even when the desire is service it's well how will you serve will you serve in a way where you're trying to prove yourself i can do this and oh no if i fail i'm i'm terrible that feels like a, a typical path that most people go through and then that healthy place of actually i still want to serve and i still want to make a difference but i'm no longer going to do it from a place of trying to prove myself i'm going to do it from a place of simply just expressing who i am and expressing you you mentioned a book just before we um started recording um transcendent kingdom just about the i love the way you described it beautiful exploration of humanity and mm -hmm. i think that's where we get to where the, the really inspiring the really engaging leaders that the leader that you mentioned that came in had reached that place where it seemed like he was able to channel his ego in the service of others from war wounds um almost probably literally mm -hmm. um but but that humility that like, you know, actually I fail, I'm, I'm human. I'd love to be superhuman. Maybe a lot of us leaders almost feel like we have to be, but you recognize I'm, I'm human, actually. I get things wrong, I fail, I need people around me. I, I, I get, you know, burnt out by, and wigged out by challenges. So um, I, I, I want to reach this place of expressing myself rather than proving myself, so. Definitely. And the thing that I think is hard as well is around the role models out there is, is quite cha challenging. You know, the society that we live in, in in the UK really tends to put people on pedestals and then knock them off. And there's a lot mm. of pressure um, to be, you know, the, you know, people really idealise people, don't they? And then, and then they knock them down. And, and in, in our politics as well, you know, it's, it's, there seems no room for I got this wrong. I'm really sorry. I got this. Oh, wrong. It just doesn't seem yeah. to exist. And I think, what does that tell us if we feel that we're all kind of impenetrable and you you can't admit mistakes and there's no humanity in that. Mm. <laughs> and that's very hard to, to to you see that and you sort of think, is that leadership? I don't think that's leadership. I don't think that's serving yeah. anybody. Um, and I think I wonder whether the challenge with politics is you're always trying to get one up on the other side. So you can never admit mistakes, but that's such a bad oh. way of living. It's such a bad way for any of us to live. Um, so I think that's quite hard when you're looking for examples. You know, when I came into this job, it's like, who, where can I learn about what it means to be a leader? That's actually quite hard. It's quite hard because I think we're all human and we're all going through those challenges around what does that look like? People don't want you to be so servile and, and humble that you'll never make a decision. You know, that's not leadership either. So sure. it's finding that balance, isn't it, between being able to do the hard things too and make the hard decisions. And, and yeah, I think, that's I think that's quite challenging to find those examples. It's quite hard. Often there are personal relationships with people that we've known in our workplaces rather than public figures, I feel. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, and as you say, there's this pressure to perform. And when you do fail on a in a very public way that's that's hard um and i don't think for those of us that aren't public 
figures that's perhaps hard to even appreciate the weight um, of it. Uh, and yet that part of being human, you know, Brené Brown has done some great work to just really bring this to light. Part of being human is that we are made of strength and struggle. And so being able to be vulnerable about it, showing ourselves some self-compassion enables us to, I, I find actually helps me to bounce back and helps me to tap into a deeper level of resilience when I'm able to be vulnerable and just acknowledge that it's been tough or I got this wrong or I'm struggling with something in, in uh, particular. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that the thing around Brené Brown and vulnerability, a big, big fan of Brené Brown, but I remember when I first came into this role, being at, you know, vulnerability was the big thing, wasn't it? And being in a, in a webinar for leaders where we were talking about how it's so important to be vulnerable, but I wasn't in a place where it felt safe to be vulnerable. I felt mm. like there was a lot of pressure to be a certain way and to perform and at that point. And I, I remember bringing up at that webinar, actually vulnerability is a privilege. So you have to be careful in the message of vulnerability because it's it can leave you feeling if you're not careful quite exposed um yeah and i read a good uh, i was on a course where they talked about and i found this helpful being vulnerable with the right people at the right times absolutely yeah and, and knowing where that safety is but having those people finding those people where you can go do you know what i'm just <laughs> not coping i'm rubbish i might completely mess this up having a good cry that doesn't sure. mean that with all the people all the time it's having the Absolutely. right that with isn't it i think um yeah. Brené can be vulnerable with everybody all the time because she's <laughs> so in a way you know she's talking about that but it, it's um <laughs> but i think even she talks about the pe people who have earned the right to to hear your story and so there are levels absolutely levels of of that um yeah. Uh, one thing I'd love to chat about just as we get towards wrapping up is, so given the work that you do, you know, kids space, anti-bullying, um, I see that at leadership levels as well, where leaders abuse their power and authority. Um, and I'm just curious, why you think that is why we still see that bullying behavior in the workplace um bit of a that's a big question uh, <laughs> yeah. so, big question for yeah for and i guess so in, when we're looking at bullying generally and bullying behavior in schools and with children as well as with adults it is we have a lot of interesting debates around actually what, what are the causes um and they are varied there are many many things um some of them are individual some of them are group behaviors some of it's about context some of it's about age and development um you know we're products of our upbringings as well and our environments but we also have self-efficacy within that um mm. but then we also receive different behaviors in different ways so what might feel bullying to one person will not feel like bullying to another person so it's sure. all, it's quite complicated I suppose the question around why do we see bullying behaviours in the workplace, some of that is about cultural context. So some global writing around bullying suggests that um, you see particularly high rates of bullying in the UK and the USA. Um, and they think wow. that we're very individualistic cultures rather than collective cultures. And individualistic oh. cultures, it's just what we're talking about. It's the cult of the ego. It's the cult of me. 
Mm. Um, and in some schools where they don't support um, collaboration and respect and kindness, children feel under pressure to, to, wow. to have power over others for survival. And when you're in an environment where you feel like you have to prove yourself and you have to be powerful, you'll see bullying behaviors. So I think actually when we see it in the workplace, it suggests to me it's a workplace that's probably quite hierarchical. So you tend to see quite a lot of it in um, like in the NHS, in schools, in, you know, anywhere where there's kind of hierarchy. Um, sure. see more of those, you'll see more of those bullying behaviours. But often it's a lot of unresolved issues for people. It's people feeling like that's how they have to behave. That's what leadership mm. looks like. It's just mm. what we're talking about. You know, where are the models of kind of servant leaders? If you've never seen that, you're thinking, yeah. well, this is, this is, I've got to prove myself. You know, and this is how I do it. And I don't know any other way to do it. You will have some people who are kind of in that back camp. You'll have others who um, have just not seen anything else. They don't know mm -hmm. any other way of being. And so they kind of don't even see it. They don't see where they might be affecting others in, in the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing. And they not intent when we say that bullying is behavior that's intended to hurt and where there's an imp imbalance of power and it's hard for the person on the receiving end to defend themselves. And so sometimes with some of those kind of bullying behaviors in leaders, there's not necessarily an intention to hurt, not always. Mm. It's just that they don't, they haven't <laughs> seen the impact that they're having on others and the culture sure. doesn't allow for that behavior to be, to be checked and to say, do you know what? That's not how you lead. That leadership style isn't serving. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really, really challenging. Um, it's challenging to, 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 in the workplace, what you've got to do is be able to support those open conversations, but within hierarchies, that's really hard. So it's hard for somebody to say to their manager, do you know, I, I feel really intimidated by you, or that's how that made me feel. That's hard. Um, and that's because of hierarchy. And so you have to work quite hard in workplaces to create environments where people can share how they're feeling because the intent may be there or it may not be there. Um, and then on the other side of it, there is about it is about creating safe cultures. So environments where sexism and, and you know, things we've seen recently in, in Parliament, where that, or whether it's homophobic behaviour, racist behaviour, where that goes unchecked, you'll yeah. create a culture where people do not feel safe. That's that's yeah. a reality. Um, and so if you don't get on top of that, you're going to have issues in, in your workplace. Um, you know, and we've heard stories as well, where particularly where you've got very um, you might have very hyper masculine environments, for example, where banter is kind of just that's what you have to put up with. Um, again, where that's gone unchecked, that can create very, very unsafe environments. Um, and, you know, good examples, football and what's gone on in football and what's been exposed within football. It's a very mm. hyper masculine environment. There's almost been an acceptance that you accept the abuse, you accept the harassment. That's the culture. Yeah. Um, if you either you survive it or, or you don't. I heard a brilliant podcast with Peter Crouch on this, on his experiences in youth academies wow. and almost survival. And the way he survived was humour. Because you imagine he was on the brunt of a lot of people's jokes. He survived through humour. Um, and it was almost like that's the culture. But now sure. there's cracks in that now. People are starting to say now, no, that doesn't, that's not acceptable. That's not okay. That It's not okay yeah. just to accept that from coaches or from other players. Yeah. People are starting to see another way of being. So in workplaces, it is about individuals, but it's also about cultures and challenging cultures and saying it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. There is yeah. And it's good. There is a change. There's definitely a change happening. The fact that this stuff's come out in Parliament wouldn't have come, I don't think that would have come out five years ago. I think there's sure. been a real shift where people have gone, there's another way of being. It doesn't have to be like this, which yeah. is a
that that is a good thing and and some great distinctions there particularly like the way you describe you know bullying it's that intention to hurt and and i say this most of the time i don't think any leader or certainly most leaders don't wake up in the morning saying i really want to hurt my people today no we want them to thrive and you want them to develop and so how do you create the sort of culture that enables that and just being aware of your behaviors and what's going on for you um where back to some of the things that we've been talking about could it be that i'm trying to prove myself rather than simply express and serve people and and um, key stakeholders and customers etc so some great food for thought for leaders listening and watching this yeah it's hard and it's hard i think workplaces <laughs> are complicated as well and it's true for teachers too where you do need to assert yourself sometimes you might need to discipline um, and there can be occasions in workplaces where that can get called bullying um when when it, it may be that oh holding the line and they're holding boundaries and they're holding people to account yeah, um, yeah. and that's where you really need those HR processes and, and policies mm. to really support your practice as well because there's times where you have to give people messages they don't want to hear um, and, and that's not the same as bullying um, and so it's it's being able to really kind of explore that as a workplace and have those policy and processes in place but be able to give constructive challenge if things just don't feel right and be able to receive it that's the challenge as a leader you know, not to feel that that questions your authority if someone exactly. says, do you know what, yeah, you're a bit yeah. out, I, I think you're a bit out of order in that meeting. I think you're a bit hard. You, people should be able to say that to you without you going, oh, that's it. I'm not a leader anymore. And that's where the humility that we talked about earlier on, right? So when you realize actually this isn't, again, about me trying to prove myself mm. and trying to create an environment that helps everyone be at their best. And I am human and will get it wrong. And yes, it may sting, but um yeah let let me hear it our time has gone by so quickly so i'm going to ask one of my favorite closing questions which is if you could chat with the younger lauren just as you were beginning your leadership journey i know you said hey you try to read the books and 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 look for the people and the examples but if with all that you know now what what piece of advice would you give to the younger Lauren as you were beginning your leadership journey? I still think Karen Brady's great. <laughs> <laughs> stay calm, stay calm. It, you'll be all right. Stay calm. One foot in the other, in front of the other. Keep learning, keep learning, keep reading, keep listening to all those podcasts. Keep reading those stories. It's really important to learn from others. Really important. And there's a lot of solidarity out there. It's a lot of solidarity. You're not on your own. That's what I would say. You're not on your own. When you go into leadership, well, there's only me. I used to love the Stormzy song, Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Oh my goodness. How embarrassing looking back. But you know, you're not you're not Stormzy in the crown. It's all right. Sure. You're all right. <laughs> I love that. And it speaks to the fact that that this is a journey. And you know, the saying Rome wasn't built in a day, one step at a time, one stone at a time, one decision at a time fantastic lauren thank you so much for the conversation really enjoyed it so many great pearls of wisdom and insight uh shared um so thank you for that and to all our listeners and viewers i hope you enjoy the show 
learn a lot for yourself remember um, as leaders you know focus on expressing rather than trying to prove yourself and remember that if you want to be a courageous and resilient leader if you want to live life on purpose and with purpose then it starts from the inside out have a great day and see you on the next show and lauren thanks again for joining me thank you